Hi, welcome to the Badass Breastfeeding Podcast. This is Diane, your lactation consultant. And I'm Abby, the Badass Breastfeeder. And today's episode is brought to you by Nikki's. Nikki's has set a new global standard for premium baby wipes. 100% natural, ethically sourced, EWG certified, and biodegradable. And today's episode is also brought to you by Earth Mama Organics. Manufacture, Earth Mama Organics manufactures organic herbal care for the entire incredible journey of motherhood, nurturing women and their whole families from pregnancy to postpartum recovery, breastfeeding, and far beyond. And we will hear more from our sponsors, but right now, Diane has our review of the week. I have our review of the week, and this came from an email that was sent in, and she says, hi, Abby and Diane. I love your podcast. You've helped me become more informed, confident, and empowered in my breastfeeding journey. I was induced with my son at 37 weeks due to high maternal blood pressure. I got thrown with a random OB for my 37-week appointment, and she swept my membranes without asking when I was only one centimeter dilated, which led to jump-starting labor before my body and my baby was ready. I had such a traumatic birth experience between being told that I had to get an epidural to keep my baby safe and receiving magnesium citrate, which made me so sick. Labor and delivery was not at all what I had in mind. So my son was born with low blood sugar and had a difficult time latching, so they pushed formula on me, even though I made it very clear I was determined to exclusively breastfeed. I tried to see the lactation consultants at the hospital and kept being pushed off and told that it's a weekend and there were too many babies born for them to keep up with, which was extremely discouraging to say the least. I ended up pumping and bottle feeding for the first eight weeks while trying to get my baby to latch without any professional support. It was extremely difficult pumping every two hours around the clock and sleeping in 30 minute increments, but I fought like hell because I was absolutely determined to give my baby that I had tried five long years for the absolute best start to life I can. My son is almost eight months old now and boob obsessed. He has quadrupled his birth weight and is such a loving, active and healthy boy. I hate hearing comments from people like he has teeth, I bet you're gonna stop nursing now, or even worse from the pediatrician that he should only be nursing three or four times a day and mainly eating solids. Our society is so uneducated when it comes to the benefits for both mom and baby of extended breastfeeding. I'm so proud of how far we have come and look forward to breastfeeding my booby baby as long as he wants. I'm grateful to you both for being the like-minded friends I don't have and sharing your endless well of support for mothers who don't have any or enough. I think everyone needs to mind their own tits and let this and every other badass breastfeeding, baby wearing, bed sharing, cloth diapering mama raise happy, healthy, and secure babies. Thank you for reading, keeping the badass as you are. And, I, kids. I know <laughs> she's so funny so amazing story of like kicking it in to get what she wants and I just think that's amazing so congratulations to you and if you would love to send us a review we would love to see it and hear it and know your story and be the review of the week. She emailed us at the baddest breastfeeding podcast at gmail.com, but you can also put it on iTunes, which actually really helps the podcast a lot. So get to it. We'd love to hear from you. And yeah, that's it. Yeah. I forgot to say earlier too, that you can go to badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com and you can find our transcripts if you need to. And you can also find a contact form there if you want to contact us. And you can also f scroll all the way down. You can find um, a little way and, and, you know, enter your email address and then we'll send you the episode every That's week. Good. That's cool. Yeah. Like mindless. Like you don't even have to do anything to get us in your inbox. Yeah. You don't have to remember we exist. We'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> we'll make sure you don't forget about us. <laughs> now we're about to celebrate World Breast World Black World Breastfeeding Week. 
black breastfeeding me. Black Happy breast black breastfeeding. Black oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> happy black breastfeeding week there we go now we it starts go. august 25th and we're celebrating with an interview yeah so let's get to it welcome to the show misha uh you are known as the nurse milk on instagram are you on facebook i don't even i didn't ask i that. am okay um, good i am and okay it's on, on facebook it's just nurse milk okay and on instagram it's the nurse milk yes okay um, well, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to be here. Thank you for I'm, having me. I'm really excited to talk about all the things we um, talked about talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are celebrating. Tomorrow will be the first day of Black Breastfeeding Week. Yes. 2020. So, um, yeah, we're going to talk about all that and all other things. But would you, do you want to just introduce us? Like, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Absolutely. Well, as Abby said, um, my name is Misha. My full name is Shamisha. I go by Misha. Um, I am a registered nurse and a certified lactation educator and an IBCLC candidate. I'm working on my mentorship hours right now. Um, I am a wife, a mom to a two-year-old, and I live in Orange County, California. Um, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. That's awesome. Did you, um, breastfeed? I did. I breastfed for two full years. Oh, wow. Congratulations. I did. Thank you. It wasn't intentional. Um, <laughs> my, go <laughs> my goal was a year. My daughter had other plans, so... We just kind of went with the flow. That's great. Yeah. It's so funny how I think that's so much how it happens with people, right? It's like, well, this is my goal. And then you get to the goal and you're like, oh, well, it didn't feel at all how I thought I was going to feel when we got here. Yeah. I was, I, I didn't even feel ready when she turned one. I was like, okay, well, I guess we're not ready. We'll just keep going. Yeah. So. That's great. So you, you're a registered nurse, IBCLC candidate. That's awesome. Yes. You, um, so I'm assuming that you were a nurse before you were a parent. Yes. I've been a nurse for nine years now. I just hit nine years last week. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and what a time to be a nurse. I, it, <laughs> it definitely is. I, I would have never imagined this would be happening right now, but... Here we are in 2020. Well, yeah, thank you for everything that you're doing. You're very welcome. Uh, did you, so, so you became a parent. How did that affect, you know, nursing and, and all of the things that you were doing? Um, me becoming a parent changed the entire course of my career, honestly. Um, I had no interest in women's health before I became a patient in women's health. No interest, never worked in women's health. My background is in pediatrics and nursing education, had no interest. And then I became a women's health patient and a breastfeeding mom. And it kind of sparked this new passion that I didn't even know I had. So that's, that. it, it literally changed my, the course of my entire career. So. Parenting definitely, you know, it's, it's great because of that. And I'm grateful for my breastfeeding journey because of what it did for me. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, I feel I was a social worker before I became a parent. 
And then I became a parent and of course it changed everything. And I ended up doing this and I was like, well, wait, I mean, I, I didn't even intentionally change my career, but I'm like, this is kind of social work. It is. You know, this is very much still kind of the goal of what, you know, what my work was before. Right. You can, you can reach people anywhere. Yeah. So Uh, it's like, yeah, you just have to, you just have to be willing to go where you're needed. That's the, that's the main thing. That's true. And where your passion is. And I think that's so, that's so true about kids too, right? It really changes sometimes really what you're passionate about. Absolutely. Uh, So you are a nurse and you work within this, in the healthcare system in America. And this Mm -hmm. is really kind of the bulk, I think, of what we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. So we have a healthcare system that is within our, you know, system. uh, And we see a lot of systemic racism within healthcare systems. Mm -hmm. So how does that, you work within that system, you are also a black woman. Right. How, How does that, how does that, what do you see? How does that play out? How does that affect you, your patients, and what you do? It's, that's a loaded question, yeah. but <laughs> um, I have worked, my, most of my career has been working as a travel nurse. So I have worked in states, Alabama, California, Minnesota, Washington, all over. And everywhere I go, there's a little bit of racism, just a little bit everywhere I go. A little um, bit? just a little bit. <laughs> and, and it's funny because I experienced more when I moved to California than I did in Alabama, which is very interesting. Um, but there, it is, it, there's times where you know that it's okay, this is black and white, this is racist, but you, you don't really have the proof behind it and nobody will speak up. That is the main issue I have. People see what's happening to patients and their, the fact that they're being discharged too early or that they're being underdosed because their pain is not realized and say, oh, well, it's okay. You're, you're, you can handle it. I've heard doctors say this to patients. Um, and no one is speaking up. I have wanted to leave the hospital, I don't know, for the past maybe four years, maybe. I've just been really kind of preparing myself to leave the hospital system altogether. But every time I put it in my mind that I'm ready to leave, a situation happens. And I feel like I have to be, I have to be there to be a bodyguard. And I don't feel like that's not what I signed up to be. I didn't sign up to have to, you know, monitor the fact that there are so many racist people that work in this hospital. And I don't know if you're gonna treat my patient the way they deserve to be treated. And it's, it sucks because as a black woman, I, I know what racism feels like. I've felt it my entire life, but you know, in a hospital setting, you come for care, but oftentimes, I, I've had I've had so many patients who've had um, sickle cell because um, I work with adult patients as well, and sickle cell is a very very painful disease, very painful. And the first thing 
that the reporting nurse will tell me is that the patient is a pain seeker. Now, most of the time, sickle cell patients are black people. That's just what it is. And, the, and it's all, in every single report, they're a pain seeker, they're a pain seeker. I have friends who have sickle cell who are also nurses and they live with that pain every day. But you, people come in the hospital in a sickle cell crisis and the first thing you say, oh, they're just looking for Dilaudid. Even though they're in so much pain, they're doubled over and can barely speak. So those type of things is, is what drives me to want to get out of the hospital. But it also keeps me there because I feel like if I'm not there, who's going to speak up? Because there's so many, there's so many nurses and doctors who refuse to say anything, who are just compliant with the BS that is the American hospital system, <laughs> the American healthcare system. And I hate to say it like that because that's where my career has been, but I've seen so much. I've been in situations where I've, I've had patients escorted from the hospital, not because they were discharged, but because the doctor no longer wanted to treat them and they were being discharged, even though they were not ready to be discharged from the hospital. That was actually a recent situation. And at that moment, I felt completely powerless. And I've never, I've never felt like that before. And I, I've always been a nurse who speaks up for my patients, always. Doesn't matter who it is, whether you're the, the nursing officer of the hospital, whether you're the administrator, whether you're the doctor, whoever. I've always been an advocate for my patients. But in that moment, my words meant nothing. In that moment, they wanted to get that patient out of the hospital more than they wanted to listen to me or the patient. So that is, it's hard because you know it's wrong, but everybody else who is in administration, every, uh, the doctor, the everyone is telling you, get them out, get them out, get them out. So what do you do? So that, so that is the part that I struggle with. As a black woman, I struggle because I know that there's so much racism in the healthcare system, but it's like, I'm, I'm doing my best to fight against it and take care of my patients at the same time. So it's, it's an everyday battle. It really is. And unfortunately, I don't think that it will end anytime soon unless people start using their voices and speaking up and calling racism out when they hear it, when they see it. And that's, that's the only time it will ever change. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have like 5,000 different directions I want to go after you talking, <laughs> you know, but the, so this healthcare system that we're talking about here. I think another thing is, is, is people using their voices, white people using their voices mm -hmm. and speaking up and, you know, forcing change and, and also realizing that this all stems from slavery. Right. 
that this is where this is where the American healthcare system was built. It was built on Absolutely. this racism, on this mm -hmm. abuse of black people, mm -hmm. on this experimenting of black women and right. the, the the horrors, which maybe we can put some links or something where people can can look more into that. Um, just the kind of history. Um, I know where like where I was getting a lot of information was um, the podcast 1619. Mm -hmm. It's such a great podcast. If you, if anybody mm, okay. listening would like to listen to it, she it talks about, yeah, it's um, Nicole Hannah-Jones from the New York Times hosts it. And uh, okay. she is just incredible. And she goes, it's just wonderful. And I've learned a lot. Um, one of the things that I learned was about, I learned about a woman named Rebecca Lee Crumpler. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of what you're talking about kind of reminds me of the things that, that I heard about her and, and, you know, just the history of this healthcare system. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I have to, I didn't know who she was and I have to assume people list, some people listening don't know who she is. Um, so I have a little bit here prepared about who she is and a kind of like a intro to our conversation, unless you would like to talk about it or. I don't want to just um, speak for you or over you. you or. <laughs> <laughs> um, you yeah, you can go ahead and, and jump on that. Okay, so this, this comes from the, the podcast 1619 that I was just talking about and a little bit about what she was saying about the history of the healthcare system. And I think the episode is called Where the Bad Blood Started. Okay. I think that's what it, that episode is, I don't know, episode three or four. Um, and again, I, I can put the link in um, if people want to listen to that. So here's a little bit of just the history. And again, I'm not a historian. I'm learning myself. Um, so bear with me. Um, so the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. And, you know, uh, soldiers were going around to uh, plantations and telling people that the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed and, you know, you can go now. We're not, we're not, we're not doing this anymore. And so the enslaved people were like, well, where are we supposed to go? You know, we, I, I never thought about that, you know, like, well, where are we supposed to go? And, you know, people were like, well, that's not my problem. You need to just mm -hmm. go. You need to get, just get off this land. So groups of people were getting together and were taking up residence in places like old buildings, abandoned buildings, abandoned prisons, abandoned military place bases, and things like that. And this was also in the middle of a smallpox outbreak. And so people were getting sick. People, you know, and people have normal everyday, you know, health concerns that need to be attended to. And right. nobody was, you know, addressing any of these health concerns they were just kind of you know pushed to the side and um people were dying a lot of people were dying of smallpox and there were there were um you know nowhere to go with their dead and you know it was a huge mess um so this program this freedmen's assistance program or i think it's also been called the freedmen's bureau uh, was created and it was to it was a uh, hundred doctors were you know funded to go down and take care of the four million freed <laughs> enslaved people um, and so 
these doctors are going down there and they're just like, oh my God, this is, you know, this is out of control. There's too many. We need more doctors. We need more money. We need help. Um, and the government was like, no, we're not giving you any money. Um, it's clear that black people are not suited for freedom and the giving you more money would just be a waste. It would just be a waste. And so there was no, you know, then there's no money being, being, you know, there's no more resources. So Rebecca Lee Crumpler is the first black female doctor. Mm-hmm. She graduated, graduated from a medical school in the, in the, in the Northeast of the country. I don't remember exactly where, what the name of the school was. But she graduates, she knows what's going on, she hears what's going on, she heads straight south. And she's gonna go down here and she's gonna help people and she's gonna, you know, she's putting her foot down. So she comes down and she, you know, is doing what she can and she writes a book. And she doesn't write a book for, you know, her colleagues. She doesn't write a book for, you know, the population in general. She writes a book specifically for black mothers and black nurses and how to treat yourself um, and, you know, your family of, 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 you know, common or, you know, medical issues that are going on. And um, that is kind of where my knowledge stops. But when I heard this, I thought, this is a lot of what we, first of all, when I learn about history, I start to feel how short it is. Absolutely. You know, how just like, oh my God, this is just, this, we're still in this. Mm-hmm. We're not, you know, it's like people are like, well, slavery ended, you know, no, no, we're still in this. And, and, and what struck me about what, what she did and what her kind of mission was, was something that I think that we still see. And again, still is not a good word because we're still in this. We're in this now. What we see of, of, of black midwives, black doulas, black lactation consultants, black professionals all around of creating services specifically for black people because the services and the needs are not being met by the mainstream services, mainstream you know, uh, resources, whatever, that have always been aimed at white people. Absolutely. And the the thing is we create these programs because just like you said like there is nothing that is just for us because the even with growth charts that pediatricians use they're based on how you know they're based on european standards everyone's bone structure is not the same so it's, it's really kind of necessary for us to create these safe spaces for Black women to come and not feel judged, um, just be who they are without the fear of, well, they're, they're not going to hear me. You know, they won't address my needs. And I, it's, it's, I love that you brought her up because just that, that is really what I want to do. That's part of what I want to do. I want to open a freestanding clinic. I don't know if I really call it a clinic, but I want to have a freestanding building where you can come and give birth 
you can see lactation consultants, you can be assigned a doula, you can have breastfeeding classes, you can see a nutritionist, all in one location, specifically for women of color. Because we are so marginalized and we're, we're constantly, you hear story after story after story of us dying every time we just wanna give birth. And giving birth shouldn't be a scary situation, but it is. Even myself as a nurse, I was terrified to give birth because I'm like, are they going to hear me? Are they really going to listen to me? I didn't have a doula, but I had my nurse friend right next to me to make sure that I came out of there, me and my child came out of there alive. And that's the reason why we, we create these spaces for us. Because if, if we don't, who will? Oh, well, I, think that, mm -hmm. I think the answer has been, you've been given your answer. If we don't, who will? Nobody. It's not happening. And that fear that you talk about, that fear is realized. It's not, it's not yeah. imagined. It's realized. Right. It's been happening for hundreds of years that people are, you know, and, and you know, to, uh, we, we know it's one of the reasons, one of the ways that um, we talk about Black Breastfeeding Week is that, you know, Black moms and Black babies are, die at a higher rate than white moms and babies. Mm -hmm. You know, and there are mm -hmm. less lower rates of breastfeeding, um, which affect the health in all kinds of ways. Absolutely. And the, the thing is, it's like, even when, even though I was a nurse, even though I was educated, when I came into the hospital, I was very, very clear about my intentions to breastfeed. But my nurse... Um, then I had my daughter at 915 at night. My nurse, when I got to the mother baby unit, she completely dismissed my breastfeeding goals, completely dismissed me. And it was so frustrating because my daughter is hungry. I'm a, I was a brand new mom, but I knew that hunger cry very quickly. And my milk hadn't come in yet. I'm trying. She's not really latching. Okay that's when I expected the nurse to kind of jump in and try to assist me because I was delivering at a baby friendly hospital. So their goal is for moms to breastfeed, but it didn't seem like that was the goal for me. So what she did, she, she proceeded to tell me that she had two other couplets, basically means she had a, two other mom and babies that she had to deal with as well, basically telling me that I was not her priority basically that's what that meant because I, I speak nurse too so I'm like that's wow true. I'm like wow you're basically telling me that I'm not your priority okay okay got it so she came in she put a bottle of formula on the counter and she left oh. and I was so frustrated <laughs> I said okay so what am I supposed to do my, my child is screaming in hunger. I, my milk is not here. What do I do? So I gave it to her because I, I'm not going to be that mom that just let my child starve out of pride. I'm not going to do that. No, who does that? Right. right. <laughs> and, I mean, nobody does that. No, of course listen, not. There are, there are some moms who are like breastfeed or die. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that to my child. 
<laughs> so I gave her the formula and then she comes back in and was like, well, you gave her too much. I'm like, are you serious? Where were you? Right. Where are uh, you helping I, me? You're not even helping right. me with this. I am, I am a brand new mother. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I have, what, I, my husband, he, he, ha, he ha, knows even less. So what, <laughs> <laughs> like, what are we supposed to do? So the, you know, she got the formula. She went to sleep. Okay. The nurse, the next morning, she, it was literally like night and day. She came in and was so gentle and kind and sweet. And she took the time, she sat on my bed. She saw my frustration. She said, okay, listen, we're gonna help you. And she, I mean, literally put some gloves on and was like showing me, okay, this is how you do it. I'm like, this is what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. I'm in a baby friendly hospital. I came to this hospital specifically because of the breastfeeding initiative here. And the night shift nurse just dismissed that altogether. But the, the day shift nurse, she really changed everything around. She even had the lactation consultant come to my room. And it was wonderful after that. But it shouldn't have taken me crying and being frustrated because this lady is completely dismissing me for that to happen. Right. And, and I mean, you know, with a newborn, like, you know, not to scare anybody, but like, you know, every minute does count, you know, so yeah. now your baby's already been given formula. So now it's going to be a while since they're hungry, till they're hungry again. And then mm -hmm. time is ticking, you know, and the, you know, they're, you know, like I said, every second, you know, the baby's getting, you know, you, know, you need to have this support right from the start. Right. And it just, it, yeah, you shouldn't have to go through that. But this is something that is so common and something that is also so easy for us to dismiss it I can, is i can say well that didn't happen to me you know well i didn't see that yeah. i went to the hospital i had a great experience i you know i didn't that didn't happen to me and so and then everyone just moves on with their day and continues to ignore that what black people are saying is their experience and i think that's right. also another thing that comes into it well this is the basis of it right we we just ignore it right we don't, we don't pay attention to anything that, that, that is being said. We ignore experiences. We dismiss experiences all around. And the thing is, it, it doesn't matter how much money you have, how much education you have, none of that. Women are dying across the board does not matter how much money you have, what kind of insurance you have, where you have your baby. It's the same thing. So it's like, what is the, what's the underlying issue that nobody seems to want to talk about? And it's like, I, I have heard, I have, I have been in so many arguments with doctors. It's like a sport now because <laughs> they, they'll come in and say, oh, well, you know, she, She's here all the time, but her, you know, she's always wanting pain medicine. I said, well, she has lupus. Do you know what lupus is? Do you know how painful lupus is? <laughs> it's like, this is something that you have to consider. Not just, oh, she's a black woman. She's strong. She can take it. At the end of the, we're still human. I know plenty of black women who have the pain tolerance of a mouse. <laughs> it's not a, it's not about and 
and there's so many people who have this misconception that black women can just take it mm-hmm. because we've been forced to mm-hmm. that's the difference we've been forced to take it not that we can or not that we should if we haven't been given the option so that's you know that that's a lot of what it has to and the thing is in nursing school there was a book and i don't know if this it was probably been taught in medical school too i don't know but there was a book that talked about like the the highlights of each of the main populations in main ethnic groups in america mm-hmm. and what it said about black women is that they don't experience as much pain as other populations that is what it said the in book my said that in my nursing school book and I was like, and this was, <laughs> this was when I first started nursing school. So this was 11 years ago that it said this in this book. That's not that long ago. No, it's not. <laughs> so you mean to tell me that I remember when I read it, I'm like, are you serious? I know this is not true. Who wrote this? But the thing is, if you're not a black woman and this is what you've been taught in your school book, why wouldn't you think it's true? And then you come in with your own bias and your own stereotypes, plus what you've learned in school. That's how racism is born. That's how systemic bias, that's how bias is perpetuated. I learned this in school. They don't, they don't experience as much pain as others do. And that's what they carry every day. That's what is taught. And it's unfortunate, but that's, that's what's happening. That's wild. Um, I definitely want to talk more about that, that specific thing. Um, And let's just take a break for a second to hear from our sponsors. And we will definitely be right back with Misha, the nurse milk in just a second. Today's episode is brought to you by Nikki's Natural Wipes. Nikki's was created out of the passion of two new parents wanting to protect the health of their precious new baby, Nikki. Conventional baby wipes contain harsh chemicals that can lead to redness, itchiness, dry skin, a burning sensation, and even blisters and urinary tract infections. Utilizing the miraculous antibacterial qualities of Manuka honey, combined with the proven ability of coconut oil to moisturize your skin, Nikki's has set a new global standard for premium baby wipes. The smell and feel of the wipes is unique, 100% natural, ethically sourced, EWG certified, and biodegradable. My kiddos have been wiping their very big boy bums with these wipes and they're very happy and um, they rave about them. It's it's weird. I know. They're like, oh, I like these wipes. I'm like, yeah, you're nine. Uh, Check out out the first all natural baby wipes on the market at Nikki's.com, N-I-K-I-S.com and use promo code BADASS10 for 10% off of your purchase. And today's episode is brought to you by Earth Mama Organics. Earth Mama, at Earth Mama, we recognize that becoming a mother is the beginning of a series of profound changes. Often it changes the way we see the world because we're looking through a new lens. And that can lead to a big question about what we put on and in our body, which is, is this safe for my baby? Earth Mama Organics manufactures organic herbal care for the entire incredible journey of motherhood, nurturing women and their whole families from pregnancy to postpartum recovery, breastfeeding, and far beyond. 
marrying generations of women's wisdom about traditional herbal solutions with evidence-based research, Earth Mama's safe, effective, and trusted formulations range from certified organic herbal teas, like the best-selling organic milkmaid tea, to Castile soaps, balms, lotions, soothing sprays, sunscreens, deodorants, and two kinds of non-GMO project-verified nipple cream, the organic nipple butter and the vegan nipple butter. Experience their botanical-rich products for yourself. Head to earthmama.com and use code BADASS for 15% off of, your, off, of their, off of your purchase. Travel kits are not included, and the offer expires on September 31st, so get going over there. And you can find all of these sponsors, their sponsor links, and the promo codes at badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com along with all of our breastfeeding resources, all of our other episodes, our show notes for this particular episode and all of them. You scroll down under the episode and you'll find um, links about things that we talked about and further information about the episode. Uh, and you will find information about scheduling your very own personal one-on-one, face-to-face online consultation with Diane. Okay, and we're back uh, with Misha the Nurse Milk, and we were talking about systemic racism. That's what we're talking about. That's what all of this is. This is systemic racism, and this is where we have, like, doctors that are like, no, I'm not racist. I, you know, I treat all my patients the same, And, and they might actually genuinely think they do, because this is how systemic racism works, right? It's okay. like sneaky. It's like, um, I remember I talked to Kimberly Seals Allers and she explained it as like getting wet in a pool and we're all wet, right? It's on you. And mm-hmm. you know, we, you don't even maybe even know it, but you're operating inside of the system. And even if you are like, you're speaking up and you are, you are advocating for your patients and you are doing all of the things that is, you know, what, what you would hopefully do when you see racism happening. Um, but you are butting up against a machine, right? Like a gigantic That's- machine that is just operating. <laughs> right. which nobody can even see operating. I mean, some, you know, hopefully we, we can start to see it, but, but, um, you know, when we have it all on us, I do too. I mean, I try, you know, I try to, you know, keep myself in check and I try to keep learning, but I am a product of a racist society and I have racism in me. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, so this is what we're talking about, right? What you're saying, this is in, even in this book, I mean, that's blatant right there. Yeah. Um, that's like, wild that that's right. in that book. Although I guess, you know, it's time for me to stop being shocked by things like that. Um, but And, and the, the thing is, it's, it's so in your face that it kind of blows your mind. Like, wow, they, it wasn't, that's not implicit bias that's explicit right. like that is in right. your face like right no and they I, don't they don't experience pain like that no and i think that and i think that that sometimes like even because there's so much out and word blatant racism it makes it so much easier to like cover up the systemic racism right because it's like well that's just blatant like right there that's racist and everybody can point fingers and be like that's totally racist we see it mm-hmm. But what actually is like really hurt, you know, what, what also, I guess, what also hurts people and what also um, is really driving it is the stuff that you, is not so blatant, right? It's like the stuff you say where, you know, quick discharges, um, 
you know, uh, saying that somebody is in, in looking for drugs, you know, pain relievers just because they want to be high and things like this. This is stuff that people can say like, well, no, you know, I didn't mean it like that. Or like, this is true. She's been here before or that, you know, there's all these ways that we can make excuses about that. Yeah. But this is what it is. This is racism playing out. And, and, and the thing is, it's like, when, when you call it out, you're labeled as aggressive oh, yeah. or a potster. I've been called aggressive before by a nurse manager who never met me. I'm like, hmm, we've never had a conversation. How do you know anything about me? But, <laughs> but it's like, when it comes to BS, I'm going to call it out every time. So if that makes me aggressive when I'm trying my best to save my patient's life, when I know they are not ready to go home, when they're throwing up like they're in the exorcist, and you're saying, well, are they able to discharge today? Probably not. Stuff like that. that <laughs> those type of things are, it's like, does am I living in a twilight zone? Does nobody else see this, or nobody else does nobody else care that this is happening? And the underlying issue is a lot of people don't. That's the problem. A lot of people don't care because it doesn't directly affect them. Right. And it doesn't directly affect them. And in order to address it, you have to address racism within yourself. Racism right. within like the society that you're living in. And then that's just when, you know, it's like, oh no. Right. I'm not going there. Um, earlier this year, this was in February actually, um, myself and one of my colleagues were invited to Chapman University um, to speak at a um, medical sociology class. Um, these were um, future medical students were getting ready to take the MCATs. Um, just these are our future doctors and nurses and dentists. So this is who we need to talk to right now. Yeah. And we did this presentation on Black maternal health and the biases that you know come with it and things like that. And at the end of the presentation, you could tell like everybody's mind was blown because they had no idea that there was even a black maternal health crisis. They didn't even know it existed. And these are future doctors, had no clue. And, you know, when we did our surveys after just going through and reading and they're like, you know what, I have done that before. I have put in my own bias before. I need to learn to check myself. And I was like, wow, we, I think we made a difference here. But that's just one, one class of doctors. What about the other hundreds? But it starts, it starts with learning to check your own bias at the door. And we all have bias. We all, we all do. But the thing is, when you can learn how to recognize it, and I was like, okay, you know what? I have this preconceived notion about this person. Let me just go have a conversation with them. Let me see if we have some kind of commonalities. Let me see if, if something, if we can come to some kind of common ground instead of saying, okay, well, they're not educated. So we don't have anything to talk about. 
or, you know, X, Y, Z. But the thing is, it's like, if you don't come in the door and just say, let me see this person for who they are. And the, the main thing I hate people say, oh, I'm colorblind. That's a bunch of crap. Oh. Nobody is colorblind. That's no. crap. <laughs> no, and I don't think we need to not be colorblind. Right. You need to see people for who they are. Right. And, and, and who, who we are in history and who we are right now. And, and, you know, being colorblind just allows, I think, well, we're all the same, you know, no, there's no differences. We all struggle. You know, I hear this all the time. We all struggle. We're all the same. No, Mm -mm. no. Yeah. We all struggle, but the struggle is not the same. It's not. It's not. And being colorblind is a way of just ignoring this, right? It's a way of just kind of allowing this, this systemic racism to continue. Right. And the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize or don't really put into perspective is that slavery was just a couple of generations ago. Now, I mean, like one and a half. Like, I my, mean, like my, within, right. Like right. you don't even realize it wasn't that long ago. My grandmother, when she died, she was 92. It was just her mother. Like yes. it was just, <laughs> it was just not, not that long ago. Right. I mean, like maybe not within our lifetime, but my parents' lifetime, there were still enslaved people around. I mean, you know, people who had yeah. been enslaved are living right and we right. have somehow and been so disconnected from history i mean exactly. and i i smell i smell a rat when that when it comes to that you know of like uh, let's let, push it under the rug let's kind of just try to ignore it let's let it go behind let us let it die in history when you know it's it was just right now and this is what i this is what i mean what i when i say you the more you learn the, the shorter history gets and i just think like god so the Emancipation Proclamation, I don't know why, that's just like to think about that date. Okay, so even when it ended, which it wasn't even that day when it ended, okay, but that's another story. So we, you know, it goes on, you know, we go into like the period of reconstruction, I guess was what they call it, and then into Black Codes and Jim Crow and segregation. This is all, this is all, that's just, we, this just happened. Yeah, it this just is happened. still happening. This it is everything happened. that's going on right now with black people in America is directly related to slavery. Yeah. And the thing is, nobody wants to touch that. No. no. There, over the years, I've heard so many people say, you know, it happened so long ago. People just have to get over it. But the thing is, when those, when that situation, when those 400 years happen and those the remnants are still seen today it's 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 not as easy to just get over when you're still seeing the effects today the 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 last payment to slave to descendants of slave owners was just made in 2015 just made in 2015 Slave owner's family, a lot of people don't even know this, slave owner's family were given reparations for their financial loss when they lost their slaves. Oh, yeah. But yet somehow, Black people who were the enslaved people don't deserve reparations. But the people who lost money do. Mm -hmm. 
that's that's the part that that blew my mind when I found that I'm like what really yeah I mean that was the basis of the economy yeah it was just yeah. like it's it's like it's like any other kind of economic move we have now of trying to save the economy mm-hmm because mm -hmm. that's more important than people exactly like just like COVID-19 is right. more important than you know children send them to school off oh, let them gather and <laughs> that, that's a whole nother can of oh, <laughs> and you can come back next week we're talking about that <laughs> uh so I want to just in the interest of time I want to switch gears because we um we have uh, other things that we talked about talking about um <laughs> Um, but this, I mean, this conversation is just so important. Um, and, you know, I hope that everyone continues to do their research on history and keep it alive and Please. keep it, you know, that we know that this is, you know, going on today and that what's happening is directly related to slavery and how, you know, and, and you know, when people say get over it, it's like, well, <laughs> okay, how about we have some, you know, healthcare resources and some, you know, I mean, like there's not even nobody, you know, the black people are so dismissed in so way, so many ways. And then it's like, well, you just need to get over it, even though we're still oppressing you. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay. So you told me one time that sharing images of black women breastfeeding can combat the view that black people don't breastfeed. Yes, absolutely. The thing is, when I grew up, I, I can't actively remember seeing anyone in my community breastfeed. No one. I don't remember it. If it happened, I don't remember. So when I got pregnant with my daughter, I made the decision early, I'm breastfeeding my daughter, period. And I see it as a revolutionary act because we as enslaved people, we were forced to have children. Those children were either taken away from us or sold off or used as alligator bait or whatever, but we didn't even get to breastfeed our own babies. We were forced to breastfeed the master's children. So that trauma that came along with having to breastfeed someone else's child and dismiss your own, that was passed down from generation to generation. So our grandmother said, no, you, we don't breastfeed because, you know, that's, that's something that other people do. We don't breastfeed. And it was kind of like their form of protest. We don't breastfeed. But the thing is, it's like, as the time passed and we learned more about the benefits of breastfeeding and what it does for us, what it does for our babies, it's like when, when black women breastfeed, that is a form of protest. It's like, I will breastfeed my child. No matter what anyone else tells me to do, I will breastfeed. So sharing those images, yes, it absolutely encourages other women. When I saw those images, it encouraged me because there's somebody else out here who's wanting to breastfeed just like I did. But the problem is there's so many black people who are still conditioned to say don't breastfeed don't breastfeed they give the baby formula so it comes with education and support those are the two big things that's for any woman but especially in the black community education and support are the two most important things 
that need to happen for a woman to be able to breastfeed. Oh, absolutely. Um, you, so, um, so the, the theme of this year, is it the theme of this year or every year of Black Breastfeeding Week? I'm not even sure. The restore, no, revive, no, just, restore, that, reclaim. That's just this year. Every that's year they year. have a new theme. Mm -hmm. are, okay. So this year, the theme is revive, restore, and reclaim. Mm -hmm. And do you, can you tell us about that? Like, I, I feel like that that theme alone piggybacks off of the revolutionary act of breastfeeding in the black community. Yeah. I feel like it's so much of just what you were just saying, explaining absolutely. the history of like your grandmother and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because the thing is we, we have just been constantly shown and statistics over and over again, thrown in our face that we don't breastfeed. And the thing is, it's like black women do breastfeed. We don't always breastfeed as often as we should. And I, I'll, I'll take that. We don't. But we're working towards it. We're working towards increasing our rates. And the thing is, people have to be willing to provide cultural competent care. Not just across the board, I treat every, every person the same. Everybody needs the same type of care. No. You treat that person according to their needs. This is not about you. This is about providing cultural competent care. And that, that is what I think a lot of lactation consultants are missing. There, I don't want to say any names, but there was a post um, about a month ago of a lactation consultant asking a question and she said, um, well, I'm trying to help this black mother um, place a nipple shield on, but it doesn't seem to be sticking to her skin. Is there something else that I should be doing? <laughs> and I'm like, well, her skin is not <laughs> any different <laughs> than So she other. thought that because the person was black that there was something yes. special about the skin yes, that the yes. nipple shield wouldn't get on? Not yes. just that she doesn't know how to use a nipple in, shield. Instead of user error. Right, right. <laughs> instead instead right. of maybe you just don't know what maybe you're you doing. Maybe you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but in her mind, something had to be wrong with her skin. Or maybe there's a different way to put it on Black women's skin. And I was like, are you serious? Like, she was dead serious. Oh, my God. That's the problem. So things like that. Constant education is necessary. Yeah. That's wild. So yeah, and I think that's recognizing that, you know, I mean, I, th I think throughout history, the dehumanizing of black people still exists today. Oh, yeah. Is that oh, yeah. we need to see black people as human, affirm that humanity. This is, I'm stealing this from Kimberly Seals-Allers again. But she said, we need to see black people as human and affirm that humanity every single day. And I think I, that that's- I 100% agree with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of what, what we see with a post like that is like, this is a, a human being. And like, you know, we need to see, you know, that is a human being mother trying to breastfeed. And it's somehow her humanity is not, you know, you're not seeing her as human. Right. And so, so this kind of goes along with- um, maybe kind of what we're talking about, but um, I, 
I saw one of your posts and, and then you said, you said in one of your posts, you said, um, despite what rates say, and it, it made me think because when I was talking to, um, Jaysha Lyons Echo Hawk during our native breastfeeding week episode, mm-hmm. she was talking about how the, um, bre- first of all, breastfeeding rates for native people are often not even present. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and for, those, for those numbers, a lot of times as well, the numbers are misrepresentative of, of, the, of the culture. Um, there's a lot of ways that breastfeeding happens in Native and Indigenous cultures um, that aren't just reflected in the numbers. Um, right. Do you think that happens too with Black people, with Black I do. breastfeeders? I do, because so many of this younger generation, they are so curious about breastfeeding. They want to breastfeed. Even like myself, I didn't see breastfeeding growing up, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And nobody was going to deter me from that. There are so many young mothers who think that same way. And the, and the thing is, it's like, everybody is, okay, well, if you gave your baby formula in the hospital, then that automatically puts you in a different category. It doesn't, it doesn't always reflect the same when you're saying, okay, well, she gave her baby formula at this time, or because they don't look at it as some, because some women give their babies formula and breastfeed. And, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times that's just seen as you're giving your baby formula and not, they don't see the breastfeeding part too. So, I, yeah, I do think these numbers are skewed. I don't think it's always accurate. I don't. Yeah, and I think that if we are, if, if we're looking at, you know, society in general and the healthcare system and how dismissive it is of Black people, um, why wouldn't the rates be dismissive too? Right. You know, and how would that maybe not just affect the numbers in general? Um, where, you know... We're not bothering, like you said, we're not bothering to count things. We're not bothering to, to see, um, to look, you know, closely at what's going on, what breastfeeding traditions or breastfeeding, you know, behaviors are going on. It's just like, nah, we'll just say that's, you know, put her in the no breastfeeding category, move on with our right. day. Right. And that's a lot of times that's, that's how it is. People are just so dismissive. Well, you know, it didn't, it didn't work out or if a lot of moms get discouraged if, if their milk doesn't come in in the hospital, but most women don't even know that their milk doesn't really come in until day three or four. Yeah. But if you don't know that, then you just say, oh, well, I'll just get my baby formula. My milk never really came in. So. Yeah, that's absolutely how the, you know, how the, how the misinformation or the lack of information, or lack mm-hmm. of support leads to just people not being able to breastfeed. Absolutely. That's why I encourage every mom who, every parent who plans to breastfeed, take a prenatal breastfeeding class. It is so important. And you have those, am I right? I do. I offer them. (laughs) I offer (laughs) prenatal breastfeeding classes. I do. Because the thing is, I didn't take one and I regret it. So that's why I'm always telling people, take a prenatal breastfeeding class. Don't suffer unnecessarily. If you take a prenatal breastfeeding class, then you know what to look for. Okay, my baby is going through a growth spurt. That's why she's on my boob every 20 minutes, you know, Mm -hmm. instead of saying, okay, well, I need to give her a formula because I don't have enough milk. It's not that you don't have enough milk. Your baby's just requiring more right now. 
So, but if you take a class, you know that ahead of time. That's why it's important to take a class. So important. that's right. And being prepared ahead of time is so, you know, it's, it's so much more helpful to be prepared ahead of time Absolutely. than when you have this new baby and you're like, what just happened to me? Right. Because it's so much chaos having a new baby and then trying to learn on top of it. Um, you know, breast, trying to learn breastfeeding. God. Yeah, that is like that's too it's, much. It's difficult. Breastfeeding, it's natural, but it doesn't always come naturally. It, Absolutely, it takes practice. It takes practice. Yeah, you you and your baby have to learn, right? It's right. learned. It's natural, but it's learned. Just like walking, you have to learn. You have to learn. And there were many days I was crying. My baby was crying. I'm like, okay, you have to, let's try it again. Eventually we got it, but it took time. It's not, it was not something that was just going to come. This old baby comes out and they just latch and you live happily ever after. It doesn't always work that way. Mm -mm. So, no. Well, I cannot thank you enough for being here. This conversation was very enlightening and I hope it was really helpful to the people who are listening. I hope that you follow Misha, the nurse milk at nurse milk on Facebook and the nurse milk on Instagram. Yes. Yes. And I, like I said before, I offer prenatal breastfeeding classes. You can go on nursemilk.com and purchase your class. We'll set up a time and it's a two hour interactive breastfeeding class and you will learn everything you need to know to take your baby home. Oh, that is so awesome. Well, yeah. thank you again, and um, I hope you'll come back and share. Absolutely. I plan to. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.